I think a lot of people don't understand what athletes really go through and what does mental health mean to you? I think it's the number one thing in terms of being happy in a place where wherever you are, right? Once you reach top, you don't want to stop. He was a big fan of cricket. I mean, you know, his mom is from South Africa and there were many times where we were at Wimbledon in the locker room. You know, Roger and me used to play cricket, <laughs> you know. So at 20 I need to do this, at 30 I need to do this, at 35 this is what I can do, at 40 this is what, okay, it's done. My career is done. Hi, welcome to The Other Side. I'm your host, Dilip, an entrepreneur and an endurance athlete. In this podcast, we will explore the experiences of high-performing individuals while unpacking their mental and physical fitness routines that took them to where they are. My guest today is Rohan Bopana, a Grand Slam champion, winner of 24 ATB doubles titles and an Asian Games gold medalist. He's been part of the Indian Davis Cup team for 23 years. He's known as the grand gold old man of Indian tennis because at the age of 43, he was the oldest to reach a Grand Slam finals in doubles. There's a lot to explore his other side. Let's get to the podcast. Before you get to the podcast, I have a request. It would mean a lot to me if you can send in me your feedback and suggestions and how I can get better in what I do. Also, if you could just subscribe this channel in whichever podcast platforms you listen to, Spotify, Apple or YouTube, that would just help getting this podcast to more people. Let's get to the podcast. Rohan, thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for taking time to come and have this conversation with me. Thanks, Dilip. Thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to, you know, this uh, conversation, uh, you know, between us. And I'm super excited uh, and uh, there's a lot to explore and unpack your other side. I want to start, what's it with Kurg uh, to be creating so many uh, athletes, badminton, tennis, cricket, uh, track and field. What's so special about Kurg? I think the number one thing is the love for sports. I think that comes definitely first. It has always been a culture. So I think uh, no matter which household you go, sports is encouraged a lot. Yeah, you know, I think uh, now a lot more kids are getting uh, more opportunities there. More facilities are uh, getting better in Kug and schools also are providing, uh, you know, better opportunities for students uh, in Kug. So I think that has, uh, you know, really made the difference. And, uh, uh, you know, from, from a young age, you see your parents playing sports as well. So that's, I think, a big encouragement. And hence, I think Kug is always churned up athletes, uh, you know, you know, from that part of uh, the state of Karnataka. Yeah, no, I, I was surprised. I was reading up the facts and 2016 Olympics, Kurk had the most number of athletes in the Indian squad. Uh, so that was uh, very oh, wow. refreshing uh, yeah. stats for me to read. Uh, the most coming from Kurk uh, district. Um, uh, oh, that's lovely to hear. I didn't know that. <laughs> also, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, who according to you has been the most underrated athlete for Kurk? Apart, of course, from you, but who else? I mean, I think there are uh, you know, plenty, but uh, I think uh, Joshna Chinappa, I think, uh, is uh, someone uh, who has, I feel, uh, been a little, uh, you know, uh, underrated. Uh, I'm glad that I think Olympics is uh, having uh, in 2028 squash, uh, you know, being introduced. Uh, and I keep uh, telling uh, Joshna that, you know, she needs to keep pushing for the next eight years. I said, you know, even if you have to take four years off and come back, uh, you need to give it a shot. But uh, yeah, I feel, uh, you know, she's someone who works extremely hard. I've known her for now uh, a good 20, 20 plus years. Uh, and from the time I've met her till today, I think she's someone who's always had a great work ethic, uh, uh, you know, and 
really wants to put 200% you know every time she's in competition so uh, sometimes i tell her you know you need to also take it easy so you know i think uh, she's an athlete who i think uh, uh, you know comes to my mind yeah no joshna if you're listening watching we are all cheering for you yeah. uh, so kug uh, means uh, you know childhood uh, you born and uh, you know grown uh, spend a considerable amount of childhood in kug at the age of 11 i think you started playing sports different sports uh, football uh, hockey at what point did you feel or you realize that you could be good in tennis uh, yeah uh, i think uh, from day one uh, you know when i was going to school that is one thing i did not want to go i always created a you know ruckus before going to school uh, you know i uh, i don't know if uh, anywhere i've said this or uh, you know the driver was to take me to school uh, or at least take me you know the few days i was i couldn't sit in the school bus was that he used to literally tie the passenger door towards his door because i would just randomly open it in the middle and then in school there was cricket and football i mean not that it was a, uh, it was just a small ground in one ground whoever got the chance to play when your seniors played you know you got that opportunities and i loved being outdoors i think any time i was at you know home uh i had this one small helmet and any time that was missing my mom knew i was in the coffee estates because those any time i was going under the coffee estate those sticks used to cut so she knew if the helmet so i was always an outdoor person uh the tennis court was very close to our house uh, i uh, and uh, i used to go there to watch my parents play tennis uh, be a ball kid and i think that's where the interest really started and uh, apart from school a uh, few members of that small ma- club called madhapur there all the children were we are all were similar age age group so we had a good uh, uh, group of friends and we look forward to meeting uh, every evening post school and i think that's when we constantly saw our parents playing tennis and uh, you know the love for that sport slowly you know started picking up so was sports a general fabric inside the family uh, was it like a common language which you used to speak or was it only because of you of your uh, you know demeanor of being an outside kid you picked up sports how was the growing up fabric in family i think the sports was always uh, you know very much uh, part of the family both uh, my dad and mom played sports but tennis was something very new tennis only happened when my dad uh, uh, finished his college in uh, actually uh, uh, in between his uh, you know uh, when he was in college um, he was playing hockey and he fell down and broke his arm so then my grandfather you know told him uh, he was in madras christian college and he said you know come back to kur you need to take care of the estate now <laughs> you know you can't be there with a broken uh, you know arm and he happened to be in kur and a few of his friends uh, you know they were there uh, hanging out all over the place and then my granddad said you know here's i'll give you a piece of land build a small tennis club you know or a club and then you'll just hang out here instead of just hanging around all over the place and uh, that's when the i think there were eight founding members of this club who built a tennis court couple of them knew how to play a little bit tennis they taught each other tennis you know built this tennis court taught each other tennis and when they got married they taught their wives tennis so you know so it was a really interesting uh, part it's like a small family club even till today you know every member who comes in there it's not like you know when you go to a country club that someone is a stranger everyone knows each other uh, so i think that passion no matter which kid played a sport uh, whether it was your parents or their friends they encourage it so i think that was a 
huge you know part of that club culture and uh, you know the people there from cool who always encourage no matter even if you hit a ball outside the you know fence they would be always encouraging they wanted you to try sports and tennis was a big culture in those uh, uh, evening uh, you know uh, just hang out for you know all the friends i think uh, you know that is where the first love for tennis came and uh, yeah that but what what caught the attention because i suppose this is late 80s early 90s where perhaps tennis didn't had that kind of an attention as what it is now and i would assume maybe cricket or uh, hockey would have been more uh, dominant and more aware in media so what was it about tennis that this you know bunch of six people really saw and wanted to adapt it uh, so i think uh, at back uh, back then uh, uh, wimbledon was the only grand slam which was shown on doordarshan so they always kind of watched it and uh, 1975 when um, my parents on the honeymoon uh, they went to uk and my dad said he wanted to go to watch uh, wimbledon obviously not knowing whether he can, he has to how to get tickets or whatever he just thought he could just go there and you know get tickets um so he went as uh, with his uh, very close friend who had also just got married as well so they both went on the honeymoon to uk and they told their wives okay you wait in the hotel we'll go see what is happening there and they went there to obviously to wimbledon uh, you know first time when you see it uh, there it's like the mecca of our sport and my dad still says that uh, you know there were few people coming out and wimbledon when you come out you can actually give the ticket to somebody and they can actually reenter uh, you know the grounds and that's uh, that's what happened and my dad man and my uncle they both went into wimbledon to um, you know get into this entire stadium and i don't know what my dad says he wanted to go watch center court and obviously he didn't have a ticket so he went there somehow convinced the usher to let them in and he said back then you could stand uh, on the stairs and watch as well so they were literally there for about 4 or 5 hours just watching tennis and then came back and then told uh, my mom oh unfortunately there are no tickets we can't really go and i think after that when he came back i mean i was born in 1980 he always had that love for tennis and he wanted i think uh, me to uh, play tennis though he didn't know uh, tennis need to be started that early or something so he only introduced me to try and start the uh, playing tennis only when i was 10 and 11 uh, you know so hence i think that love for tennis was always there everybody were kind of loved that sport and i think that's how the tennis club was actually started so what i'm taking is that you know the uh, the family once gets a root in sports it obviously gets spilled over to the generation and of course parent would feel that uh, you know this is something which uh, kids should do for not just taking tennis as a profession because that may be too early but perhaps it could be a toolkit to have a character development skill development right so from there and you saying that it's early age of 10 to 11 uh what made you think that you could continue pursuing it till the time you turn pro i suppose you turn pro at around 16 17 no actually almost 21 oh 21 okay yeah. so from t- 10 11 years till 21 just good 10 years yeah uh, what made you in that 10 years believe that that's a sport which you can continue and perhaps pursue a career out of it i think initially the thought of also be uh, me getting into tennis i think was because my dad played a lot of team sport and for some reason every time there was a school competition a team 
uh, sport competition, he would not send me. He said, play in school, but he not because I think for the fear of when he was in competition and someone tripped him and he broke his arm, that fear I feel it was significantly always there. Then, uh, uh, you know, he said, okay, let's try an individual sport. So, tennis was a safer bet. I think definitely a safer bet. He said, there's <laughs> nobody going to trip you. There's no, you know, you're far away from the opponent. So, I feel in some way, they, you know, in back of his mind, that was very much, you know. But he wanted you to play sport. He wanted an individual to play sport. sport. I think, and then individual sport. And it was extremely close to our house. I mean, we could walk there. Uh, you know, since, uh, as I said, my granddad, you know, gave that land, it was right there next to our coffee plantation. Uh, so, yeah, so, eh, of course, later on, it became much more difficult because every morning I used to take me to play tennis and he was really strict with me in terms of, uh, you know, whatever he had learned, he had learned tennis through the book. He had studied, you know, so that back then there was just one continental grip. So, whether I serve, forehand, backhand, volley, everything was one grip. Today, you have various different styles of grip. But back then, the book said, this is the only way. And it should take me before school. One thing I liked was, I spent a lot more time on the, you know, the tennis court than going to school. Sometimes I went for tournaments. So, in a way, I was missing school. So, I was kind of, I think, more inclined to, you know, just being away from school. Uh, but yeah, I mean, those those days, I don't think, um, I was just doing what my dad asked me to do, whether it was running in the morning, every morning, uh, you know, on the road, I, I still remember 5, 5.30, 6 o'clock, getting up and running in Korg, it's pitch dark, and then you get used to it, obviously, because, uh, you know, it's so quiet, and there's not even a street lights, uh, and everything, and then, he had, uh, the, we had no gyms, Nothing in Kurga. I mean, even till today, we don't have anything in the club. There's not even a gym there. So, he built a um, uh, couple of things for my gym workout. He, uh, he stuck two poles up, uh, you know, like a, a more U-shaped uh, but upside down. And he put a rope there. And he said, this is a, a knots. And he said, rope climbing. And he had a log of wood. And he gave me a hammer. And he said, to keep hitting it. You know, he said, he said that, I don't know, don't ask me from where he learned that, but I kept doing that for a long period of time. I went to a, a few academies and they said I was not good enough to be part of that academy, even though, you know, they had a, uh, a selection process, went through all the selections, but uh, I don't know, maybe I was too raw at that point of time. I was not good enough. And uh, so only 1994, uh, there was this... Uh, a uh, former tennis player called uh, Nandan Bali had come to Mysore. So, my dad said, he has an academy in Pune. So, he said, okay, let's go chat with him. And we spoke to him and he said, he saw me playing there in Mysore. And he said, we can't give you a scholarship, but you can come and enroll, you know, in the academy. Uh, you can pay for it. And, you know, so my dad said, okay, if you want to continue this tennis at the age of 14, he said, you need to go and stay by yourself. To be honest, for me, it was fantastic. It was freedom. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be away from school, just being playing tennis. I want to do this. So, we went to Pune, you know. I think a week later or something, we went to Pune. We see this uh, place where I'm going to stay. There's a warden. This is a hostel, I'm going to say. And we saw the tennis court and everything. And my dad said, okay, come, I'll take you somewhere. I said, okay, we're going to go shopping. So, I said, this is great. Let's do that. Takes me to a bicycle shop. And he said, this is your transport for going to fitness, going to tennis, everything. So, it was about 14-15 kilometers every single day, going in the morning fitness, coming back. This is what I'm talking from uh, 1994. 
So the hostel, obviously no mobile phones or the hostel didn't have TV. Uh, and the other thing, toughest I found was coming from Kurg, we had non-veg a lot. And Pune, the extreme opposite. No non-veg at all, especially in, in, you know, in the thing. That's my, was my only complaint to my parents every time they came is that I can't, I'm just missing that. You know, it was just something. But every day I woke up at 5, went to fitness at 5.45, just did those things religiously without asking questions or whatever the coach asked me to do. Because the, uh, the rule they had that if you missed fitness, you couldn't do tennis. And if you missed fitness there was nothing else to do there you just sit on the room read a book or you know just stare at a wall there was you know there was nowhere else to really go and you know so i did that for good five years uh, so only when i was 19 i finally told my dad you know i can't take the bicycle anymore i'd love to have a motorbike <laughs> when he got me a motorbike but i think those years i think really you know strengthened my mind a lot you know in terms of religiously doing i wasn't the best player in by far in the academy but i got to play with a lot of good players which i think in a way started improving my game gradually without it being straight away noticed uh, you know and at the age of 21 there was a big national tournament in chennai and i ended up beating players i had never beaten before and ended up winning the tournament and that suddenly changed the whole perspective you know also i was you know, six foot three, gotten much stronger. So the ball was going harder. Everything serves got it bigger. So I think everything fell in place in that one week, which I think tennis is all about or any sport is that one week can really make a change. And then in 2002, I got into the Davis Cup team and, you know, slowly the journey started actually. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as you were speaking about uh, your dad's involvement, uh, slightly controversial, but I would love to have your take. Uh, so we have seen uh, uh, evolution of the parents anchoring a child's pursuit to also sometimes becoming obsession around the negative side. So you know, well documented. Uh, you know, uh, you know the growing up of uh, Tiger Woods, the Williams sisters. Uh, what do you think is the line between a parent? Because most of the time, a kid in his early uh, age doesn't even know whether he's made for the sport or whether he's going to like the sport. And uh, we see now in you know this era that most of it is the parents' desire because they wanted to play a certain sport, cricket or else, but they couldn't make it. And now they somehow feel the kid should come up and fill in that desire. So what do you feel is the thin line where a parent should perhaps pull back to say that, okay, I have done everything more in terms of being an anchor to my child. And now it's kind of a dangerous road because now I'm trying to be a negative reflection to my desires more than what my child's desire is. I think it's a fantastic, uh, you know, question there, Dilip, because uh, it is extremely important, uh, uh, you know, and as like you said, it's a very thin line. And for me, uh, I think initially when I was playing tournaments and my parents were there, I would feel nervous as well. Because, you know, if I lose a match, my parents or mainly my dad would be very upset with everything. And then, you know, uh, then you don't want to lose, uh, you know, the match and feel and then sometimes tell him I don't want to be there. But I think later on, obviously, I got to know my parents, uh, you know, told me is that if they had any disagreements, they never did it in front of me to start. 
yeah you know so that way no matter what decision was taken it felt like i couldn't go and you know try and complain to someone else and my dad said once you're moving to pune or you know whatever it is they said they are ready to trust the coaches they are not going to interfere because they said it is those coaches who have have these academies because they have a knowledge in that sport so if i try and interview there's no point sending him there so i think that was a very important factor i think which they you know really i think foreseed uh, in a big big way of you know thinking that and uh, i think that they stuck together uh, you know and whatever decision it was and uh, even till today i say is that as a parent right we never go into a classroom to see what is going on you know when the teacher is teaching but when it comes to sport we are right there on you know in the corner like tennis i call them the fence coaches who are on the fence and the, so the kid is so nervous when he misses the ball because the parents reaction especially in a match and everything is so i try to tell the parents you know the your reaction is a reflection to the kid straight away so so we so i think when a parent can trust that coaches when they enroll the kid in the academy and just let the coaches take over i think is is what is making that difference i tell them it's maybe your dream but let the kid live his dream now give him that support of that journey what dream you didn't have but let the kid go through the journey and i think for me the minute i went away from my comfort zone is when i got better the comfort zone today most of the kids are with a training but they're going back home parents are managing everything for them when i started to be more responsible more independent i think that is when the uh, you know uh, drive to do better and wanting to play against uh, you know better players and wanting to beat them is where changed everything so talking about dream uh, why is stephen edberg as an idol for me like i said uh, earlier wimbledon was the only one which was shown at home and any time you know he played the way he conducted himself in interviews or at the match i think it just felt beautiful you know i mean we watched so many of his matches and the style he played this uh, you know whether he lost the match it is such a grace you know and i felt you know that's somebody any time you know tennis was on all my uh, parents had to say edberg is playing and i was there you know no matter even if i played tennis and someone else was playing okay i'd glance be there for 15 20 minutes but then go do my own thing but edberg's matches i don't know it for some reason i was always there enjoyed the way he played that serve with i think a you know good arch on his back i think you know uh, was something which you know today i feel when i serve that is a significant part uh, uh, you know to it and i was lucky enough over the years to have met him not only met him uh, you know but uh, uh, i did not in my wildest dream things uh, think that he's going to be watching my match so in 2011 i was playing with a dear friend aisamullah qureshi from uh, you know pakistan and we were playing against roger federer and stanislas wawrinka in indian wells and at that point of time edberg was coaching federer so he had to sit in the coaching box as part of federer's team and then watch the entire match and obviously you know I, I, that i had never ever thought would ever happen but uh, you know it was beautiful and i met him many times after uh, and i really thought he was amazing i mean you know the someone who you have grown up watching and 
you know how he was and after i met him it just felt there was no really yeah it, must be a surreal moment like someone you grown up idolizing does 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 your impression change when you suddenly meet your idol uh, and you see them in front of you and they have now the body language they are you know shaking hands with you they're talking to you when you walk out from that experience does that impression change about that person it changed for the better in terms of you know actually uh, that how uh, of an amazing person he was you know and he wasn't like you know sometimes yes it's overwhelming that you you know even though i've traveled and been around locker rooms among the best of tennis players constantly when you suddenly do see idol yeah it is a little nervous when but i the minute i went and spoke to him and obviously uh, i was speaking to him when he was most relaxed and i think that even he has been through this journey for a long time and he was happy to give some you know advice and uh, you know even just generally chat and i told him that you know he was my idol and uh, you know he was very thankful for that yeah what is the most common stereotype of about tennis players which you think is not true that the grass is green on the other side <laughs> you know especially when we travel to so many different countries that uh, you know the lifestyle is amazing that you get to you know visit uh, in all these countries and i tell uh, anyone that anybody can do it uh, so they ask me how i said well i pay for my ticket you know i pay to get to this uh, you know places i pay for my hotel room so i said if you do the same thing you have the same lifestyle as me maybe you know the work is uh, different but uh, you know today yes i'm playing at the biggest level of tournaments but when i started i still was doing the same thing traveling to you know countries trying to earn uh, points to uh, you know improve that ranking so i think that that is <laughs> something which is uh, you know a little stereotype i feel so from growing years to now uh, i think uh, if you go to internet they say ron bopanna is the grand gold old man of indian tennis uh, ron bopanna has age like a fine wine you're almost uh, not almost you're actually beating uh, players who are half your age or sometimes even younger does all of this give you some satisfaction how do you feel i think i'm i'm still extremely proud with the the way i'm able to compete at the highest level and still win tournaments uh, you know i think uh, yeah you know tennis is such a great learner that it you know brings brings you down to earth very quickly in terms of uh, when you have tough you know moments so when i do uh, you know uh, there's a lot of respect for every player when he's there in the locker room i think uh, you know because everyone understands the journey they have come through you know nobody is really just put in there they have all earned their place to you know get into this thing so i think no matter uh, you know who you play against of course you know at the end of the day you want to win uh, but yeah i mean today to be you know part of a lot of records you know uh, uh, which i never thought of that the age would be breaking but uh, yeah it's amazing that you know to be part of this journey and uh, uh, you know i still feel any time there's a representation of uh, you know the country on all these tournaments maybe i'm inspiring somebody from india and that's how i look at it and you know keeps me you know going out there does your daughter uh, trida acknowledges the fact that her dad is a world record holder does she does it does it come in well to her to know, realize that yes he's just not a tennis player but he's also a world record holder 
uh, I mean, uh, uh, is four uh, right now, so she's not yet, you know, gotten uh, to that. And then sometimes she asks me why people come and take pictures with me or, uh, you know, and then she says, oh, the autograph people have come, you know, in terms of, you know, so she's also learning. Suddenly she's, uh, you know, uh, wherever it is at airports, you know, someone comes and then she asks my wife, you know, why do they need the picture? So she's also a little bit understanding. Oh, okay. Yes. Uh, you know, he, uh, she's a tennis player, but, uh, uh, you know, she's a big uh, Alcaraz fan. A fan in the sense, uh, I don't, uh, not tennis-wise, but just, I think she's, uh, yeah, the character, whatever it is. And then she watches on TV and she's watching uh, Novak as well. And then she can't understand why they're also in the player restaurant, a player lounge. She's like, but I saw them on TV, but what are they doing here? So that connection is, you know, still... Uh, you know, slowly happening, uh, yeah. but you know, I'm thankful she can watch uh, live uh, matches of mine. And yeah. uh, you know, obviously, I didn't uh, think that would happen, but yeah, it's a beautiful thing. No, it's amazing uh, what you've accomplished, uh, Rohan. Uh, I think, I mean, will it be fair to say that a large part of your success had has also come in once you cross, uh, you know, the mid 30s, like post 35, 36. And I ask this more out of my uh, personal curiosity also that that's an age not just in sports of course sports is very hard to maintain but generally in elsewhere in let's say a professional life or otherwise you know your enthusiasm and your energy to pursue more starts dipping down it could of course be physiological levels but otherwise you feel that you have reached a certain level and now you just kind of plateau down or you don't settle down but in your case you've only gone up so if there is any uh, bell curve you could create, you could perhaps have had the biggest skyrocket growth. Uh, what has worked for you post 35, which you feel uh, perhaps, uh, you know, was not coming in well before that in your, uh, I can't call it prime, but pre 35. Yeah, Dilip, uh, definitely, uh, you know, the 35 onwards, there have been, you know, a lot more success, but also in a way I feel Tennis is being more shown in India. So that also kind of, in a way, a lot more people started watching and getting to know uh, that aspect. But, uh, you know, having said that, I really feel I started, a, uh, uh, you know, late in my tennis journey. I feel that it took good 20 years for that experience to really kick in, get maturity and then slowly start building on it. You know, and uh, uh, the minute I think I started believing in my game uh, 100% in terms of, yes, I'm able, capable of, you know, winning these big tournaments, being right up there with uh, these guys. Uh, you know, I think that slowly started, you know, changing in terms of self-belief. Uh, you know, I think that is where the transition, you know, happened. Yes, everybody says you got to believe, you got to, but, you know, it has to come from within. Uh, you know, and I started being more happy on the court. Uh, you know, I think that played a, uh, you know, huge aspect. Uh, you know, I thank uh, my wife Supriya to play a huge part in this journey, you know, because in some way, tennis is such a lonely tour, you know, when you're, you're out there, you're traveling by yourself, doing everything to have a companionship, speak to somebody about it, not necessarily on how to hit a forehand or how to serve, but just the feeling of winning or losing a match. I think she, she being a psychologist, kind of, I feel some way played a huge part in guiding me in the right way. You know, I just feel that having the right kind of people, 
uh, around you. I mean, uh, my coach Scott Davidoff, who has been with me for about good 12, 14 years now, also a significant you know person in that journey. And uh, I think uh, so. Having these two uh, you know people around constantly, and you know, anytime there's been a low point, I would speak to either one of them. And I think uh, that's when you get the right kind of advice on how to move and how to figure out. And uh, Supriya, in many ways, made me understand on uh, how to communicate with the partner. I think that kind of really this is the partner uh, on the court on the while court, you're playing on the court. You know, so because she also had a good interaction, and then she obviously understands. You know, I think people, you know, thanks to her, feel naturally better than me. So I feel in some way that way that also started playing a big factor in uh, you know when I speak to uh, you know the partner at moments crucial moments and that started kind of changing and helping that self belief I feel that so there there is a significant yeah. uh, you know change which happened and I think uh, it's like they say I mean a lot of your growth in your career comes by the law of compound. So I think you've been compounding as what people might have been compounding the wealth. You've been compounding uh, not just uh, on the physical side but on the mental side. And it's been said that uh, mental strength is uh, Rohan's superpower. Yes. So it clearly uh, comes to uh, you know intrusion that uh, you're able to pull off things which uh, very few people, not just in tennis but across different sports, could uh, uh, you know do at this level. Uh, but we. You know, we'll get to the mental side of it because that's in you know topic which I would really want to double click with you. But we can't just discount the physical side of it, right? I mean, tennis is an absolutely high impact sport, and we were just talking that you 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 have no cartilage on your knees, right? Playing a high impact sport like uh, uh, you know tennis, I can't imagine how many uh, painkillers you would be popping up. Uh, what has worked for you in terms of? Uh, Gosh, I, I can't even start like recovery, performance. Where do you even start with someone to play at this level what you're doing? How do you look at that preparation from a physical standpoint that where do I start to where like how, to what point should I go? Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, so much which has gone, uh, you know, over the years. Uh, I'm a firm believer of uh, uh, doing uh, something in short term aspect, short term goals, short term uh, to try something and then figure out the long-term plan of it. So I think, uh, yes, I've had numerous of painkillers, you know, over the years, there's no question. At 2019, I was on uh, two, three painkillers a day because I, you know, literally uh, no cartilage on my knees and it's extremely painful. And some matches, you know, I needed those couple painkillers to just get me going and then um, uh, 2019, I'm 39, you know, uh, years old, and I'm thinking, okay, obviously it's you know time to maybe stop. Uh, so end of end of uh, 2019, I decided to take some PRP injections, some hyaluronic injections, different tried few different things. It was not really working. So uh, my cousin's sister Jyoti, she told me she was teaching yoga, and she told me uh, I asked her, you know, should I try? you know, yoga. She said, for your condition, you need to try Iyengar yoga. She was teaching Astanga. She said, my uh, teaching style won't work. Try Iyengar yoga. So um, I said, okay, you know, uh, uh, after I did those injections, I said, let's see how it goes. So the next couple of months, the first month, January still, was still fine. I felt okay. I said, oh, maybe this is uh, something would work. But the, literally after end of Austrian Open, uh, at the end of January, 
uh, when I went to Doha to play a tournament and I, I started feeling the pain again and it's like, okay, this is not, not really comfortable, not great. But I said, you know, let me, I spoke to my doctor, you know, um, uh, so he said, you know, it's, you never know. I mean, it, sometimes it works, but for obviously a professional athlete who's constantly jumping and, you know, moving all directions, it's, it's never a, uh, a few people it has worked, few, few it has not. And uh, I think COVID was a blessing in disguise, uh, you know, because when that happened uh, during that period, uh, I found uh, um, husband and wife, uh, Mohan and Jaya, they have a practice, uh, studio called The Practice Room. And I said, who teach Iyengar Yoga? Okay. And they happened to be right close to our house. And I spoke to them and I told them, this is my condition. I would love to, you know, come and see if you guys can help. And they took it upon themselves to really see if, uh, you know, it could make a difference. And they came, they studied my videos, they studied the way I was walking and everything. And they slowly started building a few different types of exercises. And for me, I always thought yoga was just, too slow, it was not for me. And I think maybe the age in some way kind of, uh, uh, you know, helped that, you know, be patient, try it out, you know, let's see how it goes. Uh, so I think, and also uh, somebody who's always persevered uh, at everything, my perseverance being an extremely big strength uh, in, uh, in my journey. I said, okay, let's try this, let's give it a shot. So I started going four times a week to them, about 90 minute sessions and almost, uh, I would say six, seven classes later, I felt much better. I started when I was walking and I was getting up in the morning, suddenly the pain started uh, becoming less and I said, okay, something is, you know, uh, probably working here. So I, I kept giving them, you know, good feedback. And after that four months, uh, when we, when the tennis started in uh, September and I went back to play, I suddenly started feeling so much better. And Yes, at times I took that painkiller because in my back of my mind, I was like that painkiller still what is, you know, yeah. kept me going. So I can't just stop that. But then later on, a uh, uh, few times, I think maybe I ran out of it or, you know, so then and I was playing, it felt okay. You know, I was like, okay, so I don't really need so more this. of a placebo. Though. Yeah, it, yeah. So, you know, in, so I completely changed my training regime in terms of go. So even till today, I don't go to the gym anymore. So I started doing that yoga as much as I can whenever I was in Bangalore. So then they said, try some online classes, which for me, even till today doesn't work. So when I went to hotel rooms, I used to take pictures of, because Iyengar yoga, yoga uses a lot of props like ropes and blocks and chairs and everything. So I started taking picture of the chairs in the room or the sofa in the room to show them this is what is there. And then they would send me some exercise on what can be done for that. So I religiously started doing that. I was, uh, you know, hanging upside down with these ropes in the gym, in the, you know, uh, off the tennis fences and some players were thinking, what am I doing? And, you know, to, so in, in some way that kind of not only strengthened my legs in a, uh, in a big way, but also started aligning my body better, I felt. The yoga did. And also, I think, strengthened my mind. So today when I... Uh, I am training and I am doing the recovery part. I do ice bath a lot, okay. a significant amount. I think it is really, really helps tremendously. I mean, when I am playing like this year, I think I don't think there was, you know, after a match, I hadn't gone to an ice bath. You know, I've always, uh, you know, uh, done that. And it's the best recovery I feel. And I 
told my physio currently who's traveling uh, with me. Her name is Rebecca. She's from Belgium. When she came on board, this is the first year for her coming on board. And I told her, this is my condition. This is what we need to work on. We need to start strengthening my quads, glutes, hamstrings. And that is my, I said, I want to feel pain free on the court. So I think she, she understood that and, you know, and uh, she really focused on that. So I started doing a lot of stretching, mobility. And in a way, you know, I was glad she was there because, you know, uh, I was like, okay, there's someone else accountable for me to get up and make sure I did that. So these specific things I started changing and working on is what I think transformed that recovery part. And getting me pain-free to be able to now feel fresh on the court and play pain-free. And that has, I think, slowly made that difference. So, Ron, so, uh, you know, my curiosity now is that, uh, you know, you, what is the mental model for a person like you to what time or what duration to give to a new learning or a new methodology which can either help you recover or get your performance. And I ask this because I'm a runner, an amateur runner, and I see a lot of people around me when they get injured, it could be an ITB issue, runners, knee, plantar, most of them need quick solutions and they need quick recovery because they want to come back to running. And I often struggle to understand why because running is not getting food to their plate. It's not their profession. Unlike a uh, professional athlete like you where you staying injury-free is extremely important and therefore you might be at the vantage point where people might be on your side all the time giving you recommendations. So what's your mental uh, framework to say how much of time should I give to a new methodology uh, and how do you go about in choosing what is good or bad for you? I think the, the number one thing is to uh, when you're doing any uh, kind of sport whether it's amateur professional, whatever, to have a routine and to do it 365 days a year. Most of the times when we get injured, we want quick results and after we get better, we don't, we've completely neglect the whole routine we are doing. Hence, you know, it doesn't really get fully recovered. So I think that is where as a professional, we are constantly working on doing, like I said, I do have going to ice bath or doing the stretches. That is no matter, even if you're 100%, you still need to do it. Wake up and do it. Uh, you know, and that needs tremendous willpower and discipline. And I think uh, uh, over the years that has taught me, you know, to constantly do that. And I really feel, you know, whatever it may be in terms of whether you want to eat certain kind of food or drink something, you know. After your career, those things are still going to remain. So you can, if you want to really indulge and do that, there are sacrifices you got to make to create the journey of yours, no matter what it is. It is a self, uh, you know, within yourself, whatever it may be, has to come in to, you know, make that change. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people might be pinching themselves when you were saying this, because I think uh, consistency uh, in doing a certain routine uh, often gets uh, ignored and I feel that can become a superpower like you rightly said not just for amateurs but I mean of course for elite athletes but also amateurs because that just uh, unlocks a very different level of uh, performance because if you just keep doing it and uh, uh, can't agree much because I am um, I am I identify myself to be one of them because I would get uh, maniacally uh, particular about my strength routine when I'm injured 
and when I am not injured, when everything is going fine, I would not care about it. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean that's so true, and it also talks a lot about a character of a person because you tend to ignore often things which you feel are unimportant, but that those small aspects contribute to what you become in the larger side of it. I think it's it's also a human nature that we get lazy sometimes. So you know what happens is when you are injured. You go to some a specialist, and by going to that uh, you know person, you know he's waiting for you. He, you're responsible for his time, he, uh, you know, and everything. Suddenly, when that changes, now it's just for yourself. Yeah. So I always say, is have somebody there throughout throughout your uh, you know days. Even if he comes twice a week, thrice a week, just that someone else coming there, he gives you that much more responsible to say, okay, you know what, I need to go and do this. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, it's very easy to push it to say, you know what, I'll do it later. Let me do it in the evening, and you know, it never happens. It never happens. It's I'm saying in personal experience also. Sometimes I push it and it doesn't get done, and then I am tell myself I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. You know, and then you know, make sure you know, even if it's 15, 20 minutes, which I think everybody has that time. I mean, you know, you just need to find that you know routine. And the other number one, number one thing is to Get good sleep. I feel recovery. Your body recovers when you have good amount of sleep. Good seven, eight hours of good sleep. It makes a difference. I mean, you know, uh, when I travel, I feel that I have more downtime compared to when I'm uh, here uh, in in Bangalore. You know, because obviously that short amount of time I'm here, I'm trying to do so many things. Uh, so yeah, so I think uh, uh, you know, at that point of time here, even here, I make sure I get. My good uh, amount of sleep and just cut off everything. Uh, how much of adoption of technology has changed your training today as compared to uh, you know the older times in terms of how much of technology you are adopting uh, in evolving and maturing your training both on the court and off the court? What you do in your strengthening elsewhere? I think it's changed significantly a lot in terms of uh, now training specifically for tennis. And my movements. Before we should just blindly run. Somebody should say, run five rounds of this ground, do five thousand skipping. You know, not related to you know what you're trying to do. I'm not saying at back then when I was trying, the trainer didn't know that what is the right thing to do. There was no really internet to Google and say or or look at it. He just was learned that way. He did everything. So everybody did everything. Being an individual sport. Trying to find that specific training for that individual is what has changed. So I do a lot of theraband-related work, you know, specifically for my the way I play, the way uh, I move, strengthening, you know, my, if it's my serve, the action of that, you know, using that kind of you know routines. So those things have significantly changed in terms of uh, uh, you know how I'm training in terms of you know when I started, even in my. Twenties uh, to now in my forties, that is, I think, made a significant change, and it has really helped. It has really helped, and uh, you know, uh, otherwise you're constantly trying to do something, and I feel my body is sore, then I'm not able to play. Need to feel healthy. So if you maintain, uh, you know, particular things which works for yourself, and not really look at others and saying, oh, he's doing it, I need to do it. You know, I, I think that that is something which. Took a while for me to understand and change to uh, to focus on yourself. Yeah, you know, and that is where you know when somebody does that, I said, I respect everything you're doing, but it's not it's not for me. 
So this is uh, as long as that happens, I think you know uh, it does make a huge difference. No, that's a great point. In fact, uh, you know, before we started having this conversation, we were talking about variables. Uh, and it was surprising to me that a uh, professional elite athlete like you still doesn't have uh, variables as what people like people like me have two three variables on myself. Uh, how have you resisted the temptation? Because we read and hear about let's say you know a cricketer or a basketball player or a tennis player getting into a lot of variables, tracking their heart rate, their sleep, and you just said that all it matters to you are quality of sleep. So from not measuring what you really want a lot. to really getting what you act actually should get how do you get to do that i think i control everything what uh you know i am doing i don't want to be uh or you know controlled by something which i'm wearing or to know oh yes have i had this you know best sleep today i have a match or oh, i've not slept well then you know having that cycle or the chain to go on and say Okay, this is what happened today. I didn't sleep well, so maybe that's why I'm not. I'm hitting a serve. I'm missing because you know certain things happened. So I really feel that you know those things were never uh, something which attracted me. Uh, you know, like I mentioned earlier, if somebody uh, does it, I say great, it works for you. But for me, I like it the old school way of just knowing. Yes, I felt good. I've slept good. You know, I'm ready to go. You know, for the match. If I have some niggles. i really feel it genuinely myself not really knowing uh, you know okay th- because i'm wearing this i got maybe yes that is definitely helped in in many ways i'm not saying uh, uh, you know it's a bad thing or a you know good thing or in any such thing like that but for me i felt as natural it is the better it is and you know even in terms of nutrition wise or uh, taking electrolytes i hardly take it i you know banana is my go to thing when i'm actually uh, on court uh, if i need some food uh, and energy i'm constantly munching on a banana and i'm uh, you know the plain water is uh, the my go to thing I, you know occasionally when it is 40 degrees and you know humidity and i'm playing the third set or you know uh, um, if i'm really drained out then i go into my electrolytes and i say okay this is what i need and i need but uh, if at all you know i know that next day is going to be humid if if i need to have some electrolyte i have it the previous night it's i feel that is when uh, it has helped me and i think biggest advantage for me is that i don't sweat ah okay so in some way uh, you know i yeah. feel that is uh, I, you know does uh, has helped in my <laughs> you know journey yeah. in so yeah i'm just wondering times. as you were saying a lot of uh, you know this new age consumer tech companies and food companies might just got demotivated who were thinking to come and sign up an endorsement deal with you to say wear our wearable or you know eat our stuff because they just realized that rohan is more first principles guys keep it as simple as it is and it's just working uh, wonders for you uh, you know this is brilliant uh, uh, what's typically your pre match routine like what do you typically have been doing which seems to be just working fine so one hour uh before i start even my warm up into warm up i mean uh, if it's a match day i practice with my uh, doubles partner for about half an hour uh, as a warm up okay so before so you're hitting you're hitting the ball yeah i'm hitting the ball so before that even starts i start doing my stretching and mobility an hour before i get on to the tennis court uh, so that is something i with my physio my physio i get a good stretch 
then we go uh, start doing my mobility right from uh, you know from the head to the toe slowly each and every uh, muscle just making sure it's fully warm then get into dynamic warm up and then eventually get on the tennis court so when i get and I hit that first ball my body is extremely warm and ready to go uh, from the go, uh, word go because you know and when you get onto the match as well um, you know you just have 5 minutes to warm up and straight away go full on you don't have really time especially in doubles you don't have really time to slow and then get into the match slowly so these things i think are extremely important to uh, you know make sure you're doing and it helps not getting injured or making sure your body is uh, well prepared for you know so that is something which is i've been doing for years and years and uh, obviously change a few things depending on how my body is feeling but that is something uh, you know i've kept kept at it any any funny or a quirky routine you have seen i mean we have seen for example uh, nadal you know he would jump he will sprint he will uh, scream he will shout uh, uh and there was this uh, uh netflix documentary where this was very well shown and how that annoys uh, uh his competition so in your playing career have you come across any quirky funny uh, pre match routine of some players i think probably would be me only hanging <laughs> upside down and, you know after starting yoga are you doing ayangar yoga before the- <laughs> so actually my yoga teacher uh, i when i asked him this once and he said uh, you know if you're feeling a little rushed on the tennis court Uh, after if it's one set all just do maybe like a a shoulder stand or a you know head stand uh, uh, you know just before that when you have the 90 seconds yeah i said uh, of course not <laughs> i can't do it on the tennis court i said get up he said because what happens when you do that so the blood goes you know into the brain kind of calms you down you know if you're feeling it i said so i said i don't want to try that but uh, uh, you know uh, suddenly me hanging upside down i'm sure <laughs> some people in the uh, you know warm up areas wondering what i'm what I i'm know. doing and uh, yeah but otherwise yeah they, every i think athlete has their own own little uh, quirks uh, that you you know you keep seeing and it become when you keep seeing it every day it you don't it doesn't look like a you know surprise let's talk about mental strength it's been said and i think you've in this conversation so far you've multiple times touch point um that's your superpower what does mental health mean to you i i think it's a number one thing uh, in terms of uh, being happy in a place where wherever you are i think uh, uh, for me that learning really happened after we got married and uh, you know supriya being a psychologist taught me a lot about the subject uh you know on how important it is to uh have a communication constantly of whatever you're feeling uh you know and to express it you know sometimes we think to bottle up things and then we keep uh you know it's a nature of uh, i think uh, us as humans that uh, you know sometimes we just bottle up things we're not used to you know just speaking to anybody uh especially like i said when we are traveling it's a lonely tour you're trying to figure out everything yourself so so just by starting to communicate chat uh, you know with somebody who you really feel confident with i think start, makes you get into a better space uh you know then i understood that how much of an important factor it is uh to be in a, a calm happy mind space even in whatever you're doing and i think that is you know over the years um uh where i started slowly doing a little bit of uh, breathing meditation just to 
get myself in that calm uh, space uh, before my match i take a 15 minute nap it's been something i've always done so because you're always in this rush of so many things going on in a in a tennis court there are 20 courts all matches going on at the same time there's so many things happening so sometimes just to calm yourself down that 15 minute nap i i remember still uh, <laughs> once when my wife was traveling i said uh, wake me up after 15 minutes and it was uh, you know i went to i'm a quick quick uh, you know uh, person who goes to sleep right away and we were in washington dc and she was traveling and i said i'm going to do this and uh, so i went to sleep and then it was only 30 minutes later then she woke me up and then i looked at her and i suddenly i flustered she's like you know she was like she thought oh okay let him sleep he's sleeping now you know let me not you know wake him up but i said that is the thing i want i don't want because then i get into kind of being more lazy different zone so then obviously she didn't know that right so then she quickly understood that and uh, you know so even those small uh, routines i think kind of makes a big difference in terms of being refreshed when you go on to the match you know and to understand and uh, the other thing i think for the mind is uh, my coach he doesn't give me too many instructions gives me specific small instructions which he says is not really required sometimes a lot of the people are giving so many instructions your mind is confused with what to really do so you give him he said i'm not teaching you a forehand or a backhand he's just telling me okay you know my my serve is going uh, if our opponent has a weaker backhand and i'm somehow missing that in the match is that specific things which i think kind of helps you know improve that brain mental calmness and uh, you know understand yourself better how much of this uh, you take into the court like a lot of this uh, you're doing off the court uh, because in a in a someone like you in a professional athlete's career the the difference in the decision making is very quick it's nanoseconds sometimes right and let's say a lot of other people who are non professional athletes they have time they can go meditate in a situation where it's a critical moment you're losing uh or uh, you know you know you're going to lose or it's a very critical moment of the game you don't have time now to go meditate or perhaps do a cold dip or uh, uh, listen to a music a lot of other people have that you know mostly people in a 9 to 6 job they can shut just go for a walk how much of what you do like you said in terms of helping you in your mental strength is parallel to what you eventually can do on the court or there are different techniques what you will have to do on the court to be more aware uh, and find in that focus moment it is a little bit different because everything happens like you said so quickly you need to start trusting your instincts so that is a uh, uh, the minute we start doubting it you know the entire game style changes so sometimes you know your feet are not moving and you're just you i'm just using my arms that's only because i'm thinking and nervous with the fact so the minute that happens and uh, you know like for example uh, nadal one of the reasons he does that because he wants to from the right from the beginning make sure his feet are moving when your feet are moving quickly your brain also starts functioning much better so you know just taking sometimes small deep breaths before the next point or taking a few steps going to the players go mostly to the towel because it is that 20 seconds they get time to really think and 
construct what they you know you know what kind of point they're going to play so th those things are very different you don't get much time and sometimes even to write down plan a plan b and then go through it because there's uh, i mean right now uh, for the past one and a half years coaching is allowed before that coaching was not allowed so uh, you know it was very difficult to get any instructions from the outside so you had to figure it out everything yourself uh, you know there on on court and there is no really second chance in tennis you know so you know today is the day you need to bring in your 100% no matter what there is no uh, and when you're on uh, on that court on uh, that field it is truly that split second decision you got to take it and you got to stick to it and that is where i think uh, you know a major part uh, in terms of when you're practicing also those particular drills of doing that split uh, decision helps you on the tennis court does on the this, match days rather. does this framework evolve so i'm kind of thinking 2012 your first olympics you're representing the country and uh, in the doubles tournament you have a situation with your partner uh, and you had to go and uh, choose another partner i mean young age you must be what age then uh, 2012 olympics i was 32 okay 32 yeah. you know first olympics for you a uh, very big platform how do you make that decision how do you get out of the stress forget the decision making how do you come out of the stress first where a lot of attention is on the partner uh and uh, you have to play your game and now you're looking for another partner who cannot be a different country because you're representing the country at that moment what did you do how did you come out of the stress because that's something which you've done yeah but it was extremely difficult situation very different uh, you know situation because at the end of the day you are representing your country you're not just playing for yourself it was very difficult to focus on tennis there because there was so much going on around you know the tennis so the, uh, to just to be in the right frame of mind uh you know at that point of time and you're staying in athlete village you don't uh you know your coach or your uh family members can't stay with you it, it is very different to really cut out and and do that it it definitely took a toll in a, you know no matter what uh, i think a lot of the people don't understand what athletes really go through and uh, in terms of tennis you are always used to taking your own decision you've been taught that way you've been uh, that sport has taught you that way there is no one else who's really helping you in that journey suddenly you come to uh, an olympics or an asian games where it is not your decision you know you you just have to you know follow what is going on and whether it is you know that it may be not the right decision or the wrong decision so even if you take the right decision there are so much of baggage around it i think that also affects uh, you know when you go into a games like that and uh, you know affects your tennis and it did affect i think us at the, that point of time that there's so much of negativity that you are not unable to even play your own style because any time you miss or you uh, you know you're down then you feel that there's so many eyes yeah kind of watching you that you need to fail here how do you how do you build the how do you build the conviction and trust on this varied people who are giving you now advices on what is good for you there is the association there is the well wishers there are perhaps the experts all telling you what you should be doing and then like you said there is your instinct uh, which may not perhaps be the best thing you may eventually pursue 
how do you build that conviction trust that whom to go of, uh, for i think it's an extremely difficult thing i mean first you need to go with the instinct of who the right person uh, is uh, you know and really stick to that you know if the minute you start taking advice from a you know few few people is when everything goes into haywire uh, you know because everybody are you know speaking uh, whatever the situation is and uh, you know i still remember that when that situation came out and a lot of people were trying to contact my parents and to speak about it and i remember uh, uh, you know my parents and me we spoke about it and i told them just not to uh, say anything about it just stick stay away from it because it was not their battle or you know it was you know and they also knew that so far my tennis has got to a certain stage because i have taken the decision and gotten there yeah. so i think they respected that in terms of that and uh, yeah it was uh, extremely difficult you know to figure out who the, you know thankfully uh, supriya was there but it was also very new to her right i mean she yeah, we had just gotten married uh, uh, you know uh, our uh, if we got married actually end of the year so we were we were engaged and suddenly so many things were you know going on where she hadn't kind of seen that so it 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 was uh, very different for her but i think uh, uh, thankfully scott scott was around someone who always you know gave me very good advice and he was a, i think the person uh, you know i spoke to and uh, i don't know if the decision what you know we did that time was right or wrong but uh, we just stuck to you know the uh, decision we had decided in december to do and we just continued with that and uh, uh, that journey you played uh, with and against roger federer what is that you know which most people don't know which makes him the goat i think how he changed the sport not only on the court but off the court as well to you know uh, he was somebody who i think uh, communicated with all the players understood what you know how to uh, even though he was a, such a great champion no matter where he met some you know players something he always was amazing amazing with the players uh, spoke to each and every one of them uh, you know especially when uh, when he was in the locker rooms he was as free as uh, you know possible the other uh, biggest thing was uh, he was a big fan of cricket i mean you know his mom is from south africa and there were many times where we were at wimbledon in the locker rooms and uh, uh, you know roger and me used to play cricket <laughs> you know it was i think there were uh, twice or thrice uh, when we were warming with up with your tennis racket or you had a proper bat no actually with a tennis racket but oh, okay. of the tennis oh, yeah, racket yeah. and then uh, you know just doing underarm yeah. some off spins and leg spins you know and uh, doing it in the warm up area it was i think three times uh, we were in the warm up area the similar juncture because we were playing matches which were you know uh, similar times on different courts and we happened to be there and uh, you know so that is so who is a better cricketer between two of you me <laughs> <laughs> so roger has a lot to catch up on that <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah i mean he can be goat in one but not everywhere <laughs> no but his knowledge for sport i think is incredible i think that is uh, you know even i i still remember once he came up and he said uh, you know i watch this sport uh, on tv uh, you know he said i think it's you know from india and they were five six people on each side and one person was going the other side trying to touch somebody and you know come back He's, so it was the uh, the kabaddi league which was going on it was i think uh, shown in uk and he was watching this and he came and he asked me about it you know so i said yeah it is uh, i said something like tag 
I, if I had to explain it, I said, by the time I explained Kabaddi to him, it was, uh, you know, going to take a, take a while. But he's always curious, wants to know, wants to learn. And I think he's given back so much to the sport as well. Uh, you know, not only the sport, but I think helping so many, you know, wonderful uh, kids, organizations, everything. And I think that is a warm-hearted person. And that, I think, is why... Uh, you know, he stands out in many ways. No, for sure. I think uh, the greatest has to be, uh, I mean, you are called the greatest not just from one sphere, but what you do outside of that sphere. So, uh, I mean, I think we are lucky in this generation, we have seen some of the, uh, you know, greatest across different sports. Uh, uh, and clearly, a lot of them has set up the right uh, playbook in terms of how one should play the sport uh, and be an ambassador of the sport. And you're one of them. Uh, uh, you once said, and I quote, uh, you once, once you reach uh, uh, top, uh, you know, you don't want to stop. Uh, how do you balance between perseverance and reality? Uh, and I say this from a perspective that um, often, uh, you know, I come from the startup world and often, you know, the common um, notion is that if something is not working, you should keep uh, be on it, uh, but there's always a thin line of it won't work. So maybe it's a good time for you to stop and then restart something else or take a pause and then come back something else, right? Uh, in life in general, right? if something is not working, you'll have to take a pause. Uh, but it may not be exactly true in every sphere. So how do you, uh, and in your case, uh, you know, you're already at the top. How do you take that decision that it's time to stop because that's the reality or I should just be at it, uh, you know, the perseverance and the persistence because it can still take you places. No, yeah, it's a uh, very tricky, tricky thing. And uh, I think uh, when you change your limitations to opportunities, when you change, that's when I think it does, uh, you know, help uh, in uh, many ways. I, I said, uh, yes, you, you, when you're at the top, you don't need to stop because we all pick up something to reach at the top and very, very few people get what uh, or do uh, what they love and get to the top. So uh, all these years of hard work and being there and, you know, traveling week in, week out, you know, so all these, you know, tough uh, places, cities you've been through. And I look back and think of it, I'm, today I'm at a, such a happy place of what I always wanted to be at. So I'm enjoying that, you know, and uh, there is no time to really pause and take back. I can't tell myself, take three months off here and then come back. Because it, tennis as a sport is something you need to be constantly playing because uh, uh, I can't just freeze uh, three months my ranking and then say, okay, I'll come back and get into the tournaments. Your rankings are something uh, which is always constant. It stays for 12 months from the time you get those points and then it, you know, goes away. So you need to find a way like uh, in uh, 2021, I went five months without winning a match. Uh, so that I, I still remember that's when I come, maybe <laughs> took a pause and the pause was just that evening when I was sitting in Portugal across uh, the ocean and I'm telling myself, okay, maybe it's time to stop. I mean, I've, you know, started in January. I've come to April here now. I've not even, 
you know, won a match. Then I went for two more tournaments again, starting into May, and then I hadn't won a match. And that's when probably, you know, you get to pause, but not really for that long period of time. Yes, if you lose uh, Monday and the next tournament is following Monday, you get that six days to really pause and to and to think. And when you so when you start looking at it as a new opportunity, the new week being a new opportunity, and I think that is where your mindset kind of changes. You said very beautifully, you, you know, your limitations becomes your opportunity. Actually, my wife uh, one day told me this. Is that, uh, yeah, no, she was actually yeah. her who then, you know, it, it, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Uh, no, thank you for Supriya to, yeah. uh, putting that line out. And do you think that's been uh, an anchor to your longevity? Because, uh, you know, what you do today, and like I said in the beginning, that it's very rare we see uh, at this level. So is that the driving uh, you know, anchor that uh, has made you come that you're not pausing and you're continuing to uh, push your limitations to your opportunity? Truly, truly, Dilip. Uh, you know, because uh, I think everyone else sets limitations for you, which in the end, you think that is what I need to do and that is where I can reach. At 20, I need to do this. At 30, I need to do this. At 35, this is what I can do. At 40, this is what, okay, it's done. My career is done. So when you change that, right, the, those things to opportunities and say, okay, here's, I'm still here at 35 years, here I'm at 40. Let's do something, you know, let's create something. Let's see where I can push myself. You know, like, uh, like as we mentioned earlier, I have no cartilages. Every six months I go take an MRI just to see how much can I push more, you know. In, I take it more in the hope that it may have grown back, you know, but obviously not. But then that is where I said, okay. This is what it is. It has not really gotten worse, but here's an opportunity to, you know, push my limits more. So yeah, truly, that is something which has definitely, you know, helped me in this journey. So, Ron, uh, most part of your career, you played uh, with a partner. Um, when you're looking for a partner, uh, what traits are you looking outside of the technical skills? I think the number one thing, someone I get along with, uh, which is a big important factor because you spend majority of your time with that person in terms of, you know, we spend all good eight, nine hours on the tennis court in terms of uh, not only just playing matches, but before warming up. Uh, because in tennis, you don't know when, the, if you're, especially if you're followed by, uh, you know, on the schedule, you don't know, there's no like guaranteed time that you're going to go on the court. So you're spending a lot of time on the tennis court, uh, meals when you're traveling, uh, you end up, uh, you know, having with the, your uh, doubles partner there, especially when uh, if the uh, family is not traveling or something, you're just by yourself and you're going to this country, you need to eat and we're eating three meals in a restaurant. Uh, I think apart from breakfast, lunch and uh, dinner, invariably you end up spending so much of time with that person. So I think so that thing is extremely important in getting along, I think uh, helps you uh, on the tennis court as well, especially in crucial moments when you're or sometimes you go through a few tournaments where you're having tough losses, where both of you all can come together. So that, I think, is a significant factor. And uh, thankfully, over the years of being on the tennis circuit, I've known most of the players. I, most of the players have come onto the, uh, this tour after you know me as well. So in a way, that has really helped. You have a new partner, Matthew. Uh, you guys started uh, brilliantly this year. This year has been good for you. Uh, how do you go about in choosing that partner? And 
funny like you said uh, unlike tennis in life you get to spend a lot of time dating uh, and then you could uh, get into a partnership uh, but in a sport like tennis uh, you don't get enough time to date uh, and uh, the partner is going to make or break your career uh, so a how do you go about in choosing uh, your partner like in in the canvas of the entire world you have so many players uh, and then what general advice have you have for people based on your uh, experience because you have worked uh, and you have uh, played with uh, many partners from different cultures and different countries so what advice you have got uh, for people in uh, helping them make choose partners i think number one thing you just got to try it and test it out uh, test the waters to see you so know essentially you are saying that go and date as much as you can yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah that's the only way so uh, you know and the second thing is uh, you know you need to figure out whether your rankings qualify you enough to the all these tournaments so you need to find a similar rank uh, you know partner or ranks the higher the rank the better easier to get into all these tournaments uh, because what happens in doubles is uh, safe example it's a draw of 32 Uh, that is 32 teams, and you are were ranked five. I'm ranked six. We just add up our rankings, and hence the 32 teams are formed. So it purely depends on clearly uh, that kind of ranking. So you need to figure in terms of that as well. Apart from first uh, trying to see who, what kind of game style matches you, and how you get along with that partner. Uh, so yeah, so choosing you know partners uh, never easy. Uh, you want to sustain with you know one partner, and uh, I think uh, playing with Matthew this year, in a way, we both got kind of lucky to be playing with each other because at the end of the year, both our partners who we were playing with last year decide to take different routes. Uh, my partner is playing with wanted to play with uh, uh, his countrymen from Netherlands, Middle Coop. He wanted to play with Robin Hase and. Uh, Max Purcell, who was playing with Matthew Ebden, wanted to pursue a singles career, so he didn't want to really focus on doubles. So it was literally the last week of the ATP circuit in Paris. We were in Paris Masters, and we both had no partners. All of us are going into 2023, and then you know we said, okay, let's give it a shot. Let's try it, and uh, we spoke, and we said our goals are, of course, to do well in the Grand Slams, the Masters series, and You know, qualify for the year-end finals, um, and we went into Australia. We played two tournaments, lost first round <laughs> on both these tournaments. Now you're doubting yourself. I mean, you know, like I said, you got to test the waters to see how it how it goes. But thankfully, I think we didn't uh, jump into conclusion to say, okay, let's find someone else and not you know rush that situation. I think that in a in a way, both of us playing the circuit for a while. and having that experience we said okay let's see how it goes we said we'll try it out uh, for a you know good 3 uh, 4 months and then see how it goes and then february onwards we started gelling well uh, better we started understanding each other better and what our strengths and weaknesses are and i think uh, you know it the year of year has been kind i mean it's been uh, you know the best years on the circuit you know for me and uh, i think uh, just sticking to a partner you know helps that uh, you know journey of course an incredible year uh, you guys have but uh, so character or skill what's more important when you choosing the partner i think character first uh, without a doubt i mean you know everybody is there talented has that skill but if your characters don't really get along it's going to last a very short period of time 
What is the one common trait you have seen in all your doubles partner which you don't have? Quickness. I think that's something I pick, <laughs> you know, especially as I'm getting older. I try to find, you know, partners who are more swifter than me because with my powerful game, I feel that's a good combination I look for. And is there some assessment what you get into it post you meet a partner? Is there like a, a small courtship period where you figure it out, okay, what's complementing each other or you do a pre-screening before reaching out to a potential partner to see whether there is a fitment? Pre-screening, if you do, if you're ranked high enough, you have that options because okay. everybody wants to partner with you. Yeah. When you're not ranked that high enough, you can't really do a pre-screening. So you know, it purely depends on what juncture at that point of time, uh, you know, you are. I, last year, I was 22 in the world. Uh, in the end of the year, so I'm also looking for some partner to be equally ranked or higher ranked. Today, I'm ranked three in the world. I have all the options tomorrow if I open up and say I'm looking for a partner, I'll get a number of messages saying yeah. they would like to play because anybody, uh, you know, ranked even low will get into tournaments, you know, because uh, like I said, a combined ranking will help them. So, um, but definitely does help narrow down when you look at a few partners on who could be a potential before trying to ask them. You know, this uh, tennis double circuit is it's brutal because uh, you never know when the switch happens and when they, whether you can get dumped, yeah. you know. So, yeah. it happens pretty quickly, pretty often and, uh, you know, I think that is something uh, many players fail to understand that, you know, if you do able to sustain it, it, it could be a fruitful partnership. Talking about partnerships, uh, your, the Indo-Park Express, yeah. uh, the famous partnership you had with uh, Qureshi, uh, Talk to me, how did that come along? Because that era was not the most ideal bilateral relationships we had with Pakistan. So, how did that come along? You you partnering with uh, someone who is from perhaps uh, from a country which is not having ideal relationships. Uh, how did that come along? So, I met uh, uh, Assam in 1997. Uh, I was 17 years old. He had come down to India to play a junior tournament. And few of the other Indian players already knew him before and that's the first time I got introduced to him. And uh, after that, we went to a few tournaments traveling in Asia and uh, Europe and everything. And I kept seeing him because we were playing the similar calendar. So, slowly our friendship, you know, grew, uh, uh, you know, especially when you're traveling and uh, you have the Americans or South Americans or, you know, uh, European, they stick together, you know, because either, you know, they're speaking, uh, you know, similar languages which they understand. And here, there were many times that uh, we were going to tournaments, there was one Indian, one Pakistani traveling <laughs> to these tournaments. And, uh, uh, you know, he spoke Urdu, I spoke Hindi, we, we kind of gelled in that way. And a friendship grew over the years and, you know, it was easier to have a companion to travel with, you know, go for dinners with, uh, you know, so that friendship built uh, tremendously. And uh, I think it was a good decade before we started playing doubles together. It was just so happened we were in uh, Bristol in UK and uh, we were uh, both entered in the challenger for singles. We were playing uh, a lot of singles uh, challenges that time and we didn't have a partner and we said, okay, let's try and, you know, play uh, this week. And we didn't even know at that point of time whether I was better on the left side of the court or he was better on the uh, left side or right side on which we just said, okay, let's just, because our priority was singles, was not really doubles. 
and we ended up you know playing a few tournaments after that also we said okay let's play and the third tournament in, into the third challenger we ended up winning the uh, the challenger and so we said okay this is great uh, it pays for also a lot more travel and you get a little bit extra money to travel and you know so why not i mean you know um, and hence uh, i think we started uh, playing lot more tournaments and we played for good 3 4 years before anyone even noticed that we were playing together it was okay. only later when we did well in uh, wimbledon when we reached the quarter final yeah. that's when the entire world said oh there is india and a pakistani you know playing together and for us it didn't feel any different i mean you know we were friends and we traveled and we you know played already for such a long period of time it didn't feel at all that oh for once i said oh okay you know this guys from pakistan our countries maybe they don't have the best relationship but i'm not going to play with them so it was purely tennis purely a great friendship till today it still is a great friendship and uh, you know hence you know that partnership came along how was it because uh, unlike any partnership uh, how were you able to wean off i'm sure people might have been reaching out to you from different uh, walks of life uh, perhaps talking you out from this relationship what made you into it because it's not an easy a uh, space to be in like uh, you know it's doing good for you in terms of your career but when you look at from a societal or from an external point of view you've been construed from a different perspective right so how are you able to win that off because uh, you're now no more looking from a patriotical point of view but you're looking at from a career point of view as a funny uh, thing was that we always had great encouragement oh, okay we never had someone say you know what why you are playing they were curious to know how this partnership came along but never really once when they said do, do not play with that person so which was great and it was two countries supporting one team it yeah. doesn't happen often absolutely you know i mean we had the, the ambassadors of uh, both our countries come and watch us you know play in the us open semi finals and you know that was something uh, you know unique and amazing to have uh, you know two ambassadors from different countries come and support one team and i think it was fantastic encouragement and uh, like uh, in the locker rooms or the tennis matches anywhere the players we never nobody really spoke about it the only time i think we sat separately and really uh, uh, were away from uh, uh, you know one another if india pakistan played a cricket okay. match okay. and obviously we supported our <laughs> respective countries and yeah. i still remember uh you know we were in mumbai uh, we were playing um, uh, the atp kingfisher open back then and uh, uh india was playing the uh, world cup t20 final against pakistan and uh, we were watching that match and india you know won that uh, match by literally the last ball yeah, the dhoni uh, one so yes ex- dhoni, exactly yeah. uh you know and 45 minutes or hour later we had to go on a court to you know uh, to play our match but he was sitting by himself and watching this match when the entire uh, you know uh, crowd there was supporting for india it was very di- different obviously and even though he was uh, you know holding his nerves and everything but you know that's that's the uh, friendship i think uh, you know we have shared we not really I looked at it in you know in terms of saying the countries are uh, you know going through these situations and we so we don't need to uh, you know figure that out we purely left it to for uh, enjoying being on the tennis court what tennis has you know given us and the success it has given us and had that great friendship
another highlight of your partnership uh, career has been your coach uh, scott david yeah. 12 plus years now and counting uh, that's right yeah what has worked for you guys uh, you know so beautifully that the relationship has lasted 12 years plus biggest thing is how simple and calm as a person he is i mean you know no matter what the situation it doesn't phase him i feel you know that is something which uh, first thing it struck you know uh, whether i'm worked up and you know something's not right he lets me talk lets me vent it out and then comes up with this perspective of what he needs to say or uh, you know no matter who came on the um, tennis court with me whether it was friends family he always you know made them understand how the sport works what it is so not only on the tennis court the everything around it also and uh, uh, he had already been in the tennis coaching uh, world for good 20 plus years and i feel somebody like him i needed because i was coming up in the sport i needed someone to have already have been there and not be coming up with me and getting overwhelmed with the situation being at the these tournaments or being at situations for the first time so he had already been through that journey with some other players so he was very well experienced and i think that is something uh, i needed i needed somebody experienced to understand double specific what is needed how to go about it uh, you know and uh, and plus him um, being in that tennis circuit always knew uh you know what when practice with players was needed whether i need to do it myself so that is uh i think a significant part till today he always brings in he, uh, like i said he just speaks minimal in terms of when it comes to tennis otherwise he's and uh, any city like the, the tennis currently now at the when you play at the highest level goes to the same cities over and over again and he's somebody who knows the and walks the city and knows the city's back of his mind i call him my tourist guide <laughs> you know so and he's is a gem of a person he's more like a family now he's not really you know though he's yes he's my coach but he's he's truly family and uh, you know he came to our wedding in cool you know something you know uh, uh, for him it was very different because he's been to india before but coming to cool uh, you know is something uh, extremely different so yeah so he's uh, super special and uh, you know i'll always be thankful that he has been you know part of this journey and a very big part of you know my success is uh, thanks to scott as well no i, I think it's a very rare um, uh, highlight because uh, it's very rare to see a guide and a mentor attached to someone for this long uh, not just in sport or even tennis but in general uh and therefore i wanted to ask because you have that vantage point you something is definitely work for you guys what advice do you have for others who are seeking out coach mentor not just from sports angle but generally in life work uh how would they want to evaluate a guide or a mentor and i want to say like mostly uh from what i have seen like say in the business world you typically want to get guided by someone who has been successful so either he has been you know had some certain amount of wealth or he has created a bunch of companies uh, or if it's a let's say someone in running you would rather say that someone who is a great runner himself uh, but as an observant i have seen is that not always a great sportsman could be or will be a great coach in fact history says that the greatest coach 
coaches have never been the greatest player in that sport so what is your advice to people who would be looking out for coaches what should they look out to just be patient with the with that journey whoever you're going to and not really try to look for quick results you know i think that is something which is key no matter who it is you're absolutely right uh, in the ta- fact of saying you know the best coaches have not been you know the uh, best tennis players out there but i think it's to find out how they understand the bigger picture it's not necessarily their success which is going to give you great advice it is about how they shape your journey of you understanding and to um understand you as a person not not necessarily teach the same uh, way to 10 different people it's not just one book and say this is the way to go to understand you as how a person is how to communicate and i think that is something when you build a rapport is who you need to really share with and you know go along with that journey and have full full faith in him you know never really even if you have a judgment it's the communication which which helps i mean we've had numerous arguments but five minutes later we are absolutely fine because uh, you know we are there speaking about it he will t- if i am not um, happy with the particular drill i do i want him to explain it so i think when you push them uh, you know or uh, so that person knows exactly how you are feeling what you are thinking and they understand you better so i think that rapport is more important than just looking at somebody who's been successful and guaranteed that you know my success also will happen just because i'm speaking to somebody who's super successful and interestingly if i flip it now you are at a point where you're also playing with uh, your partners in some instances in you know the recent asian games where the the player is much younger to you and therefore you have to balance the act of being in guide and in colleague and like you said there would be instances as a colleague you may want to argue because both are having an equal playing field but at the same time you are also a senior and therefore you might be also looked upon as a guide or a mentor how much of that changes or how do you is it easier hard to to balance the act being a guide and a colleague together i think it comes with experience you kind of uh, you know that's the growth you learn uh, over the years i mean uh, i'll give you a great example when you since you mentioned asian games so we are at the final of the asian games i'm playing with rutuja so i i can see she's nervous but she obviously doesn't come and tell me this right so when we start playing uh, i obviously notice and then she she knows uh, you know that herself she's not playing freely we end up losing the first set so we're sitting in the changeover we have about 90 seconds so you know so i said i told her, i said you know right now forget about what has happened we can't change that you know let's look forward so i told her i said i wanted to look at the entire stadium look at the crowd i said enjoy where you are because tomorrow we don't know whether we'll be here or you you may be here but today start enjoying the situation and uh, and everything so i just was trying to get a mind more relaxed to start with before i told her what the next strategy was and that strategy was that she was playing on the right side of the court on which is called the deuce court and i was playing on the left court being the ad court and i'd already after that in the end of the set i decided i told myself that i'm going to switch sides 
which doesn't happen often, especially in between a match. So when, so just when the referee was about to call time, I told her, Rutuja, from this set, you will go and play on the ad side, and I'll play on the due side. I said, we got to give it a shot and let's do that. So I didn't want to straight away bring it up to her because obviously the situation would have been overwhelming and she's, you know, the whole match, the four matches we have played, we played like this and this is something new. Though one of the reasons I did that was because the first point then comes to the deuce code always to the, uh, uh, you know, yeah. so I wanted to take pressure off her by giving her that first point and then play her game. But I didn't tell her that at that point of time why I was doing it. I told her after the match, but that automatically changed the situation. And so a lot of people asked me, what were you thinking? So I said, I was glad I was thinking, right? If I was not somebody who had, who was come with that experience. And I said, I personally decided that and I was ready to take the blame tomorrow if it didn't work. So, you know, so th these are the things I think which life teaches you. Yeah. And to, today we are sitting, both of us are sitting with, you know, having a gold no, medal no, no. for, for the country and, you know, these are the small things which does make a difference yeah. for tomorrow, you know, maybe uh, give somebody a pathway to, you know, uh, grow and get bigger. No, for sure. I mean, uh, I was reading and catching up, uh, you know, Rujita's interview and uh, it clearly uh, showed how much uh, she had it in. Uh, having you as a partner and there were instances when she was saying that she had to pinch herself to see that she was having you and I'm sure uh, she, uh, you know kudos to her to not get intimidated by someone a figure like you and to come in uh, and make yourself comfortable uh, even though you are not uh, and go out and play as uh, equal partners uh, that's uh, that's super hard uh, yeah absolutely it's not uh, not easy and uh, I didn't really know her uh, that well I just had seen briefly a game and I somewhere in back of my mind I was like okay this person could complement the way I play you know because she's got a big serve big forehand and with, with my six foot three wingspan I thought you know I could really intimidate someone at the net and I think that really you know helped uh, in a big way and uh, uh, yeah so really hats off to her to have you know sustained that uh, you know pressure and be there uh, yeah, you no. know because sure. I really pushed her <laughs> to the limits, I think. No, I mean, uh, upside is she, uh, she had uh, perhaps, uh, you know, the biggest uh, turning point of her career and I'm sure she's going to go up ranks. Um, uh, talking about uh, turning points, uh, 21 years of uh, being part of the Indian Davis Cup, you finally said goodbye uh, to the circuit. Uh, talk to me about the decision-making process because you're not retired yet and we have to talk about that. Talk to me the decision metrics, what made you think that this is it for Davis Cup and you are still in the other circuit but uh, 21 years of uh, being part of the Indian team and uh, you got to say goodbye. So what made you make that decision? Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, extremely proud to have represented India for 21 years. I mean, you know, it doesn't happen often that in sport you're able to you know play for that long and uh, I still today remember my my parents dream was for me to one day play for uh, India so when that happened when I debuted for India in 2002 my dad threw the biggest party in court you know just to you know having said that yes 21 late, uh, years later I I said okay I'm gonna call it a day and uh, um, and I wanted to do it 
having a tie at home you know davis cup happens only twice a year so uh, the chances of us playing in india is very rare it purely because it depends on who you played against or it happens in lots or in case you played a country uh, if you had played in india the next tie is always in their their country so uh, so the opportunity came up uh, that uh, uh you know we were playing morocco and in india and uh, i was hoping it was going to be in bangalore i would have loved to have of had course. it in you know bangalore and it would have been a, a perfect setting of and uh, you know for me to finish here but uh, you know i'm playing and going through the journey every week off kind of helps the body and uh, uh, you know davis cup one week i'm there i play literally one match uh, you know and and i felt that there were other players now slowly coming up Yes even though I am the highest ranked I'm still playing there there are other players there who can you know get into that role and sustain that role even in singles there are young guys coming up so it will be a good you know team uh change team camaraderie uh, needs to be built and that was something kind of lost I I also felt not that happy to be there I, in a way I I felt the guys today are playing it more like a job not really uh as a good team atmosphere they come play their match and they go back and i feel that is something which needs to be changed and that is why i love davis cup i be being in that camaraderie being around you know players that one week having fun with the boys yeah, you know it was it was just uh, that was the beauty of you know playing uh, uh, team sport especially when we play individual throughout and that was something which was missing so i think both or everything added up and i said okay this is the right time to you know call it a day from uh, davis cup i'll continue on the circuit and um, uh, i said i will still be i'm still i'm touch with all the all the boys every time they need help i'm you know happy to guide them and um, you know a lot of the guys said you know uh, that uh, they they would still want me to be part of it maybe not playing but because the way i cheer ways they you know i help them i said yeah maybe one day you know i'll still be part of the davis cup team in some way but this time i said uh, you know it gives me that extra week off spend time with the family be at home and uh, yeah so that was i think all put together uh, first person i told that i was going to uh, maybe make this decision was supriya before i you know i started deciding to tell uh, uh, you know the rest of the people yeah. no i'm sure bobsy is going to be uh, missed a lot uh, i you know i i heard and read that uh, you're known amongst the boys uh, by the name bobsy yeah so, it's all it's bob bobsy <laughs> yes. it's all it's all kinds of you know it, uh, when you play for this long all kinds of yeah all come. different names will <laughs> come but the last one name standing is bobsy so yeah. for sure you will be missed a lot and uh really uh thank you for the uh for everything what you've done for the team for this long i, I don't know if there is there's any other player who might have played for the country that long um but you know playing uh also comes at a cost and tennis is known as a gentleman's game being a gentleman comes at a cost the cost here being being honest uh us opens final this year early this year uh you got a point your partner matthew did a serve it hit your forearm uh the point was uh, given on on your side but you went up to the referee and i'm saying this out i'm not sure how many people might have followed that point many have but still it's a refresher that you went up to the referee and say hey uh you know it hit your forearm and therefore it should not be a point and uh, you had to 
uh, forego uh, and forfeit the point. Uh, many say it probably might have costed you the game. Uh, not sure how true that is, but tell me in such instances, uh, do you really go and talk to your partner? Because this is influx. I saw the video. It was instant and impromptu uh, decision and it is not just impacting you, but it's also impacting your partner, being honest. Uh, uh, do you at that point of time think about the partnership or do you think about what's right, which is being honest? I think it was uh, straight away it came up of being uh, doing the right thing and I was always taught that way from a very young age. Uh, it was very instinctive. I don't think even my partner realized uh, when he when he hit that forehand it touched uh, my forearm. Uh, and I called it upon myself straight away and I went and spoke to him and I told him you know this is what has happened and he's also somebody who's uh, you know very honest and uh, he, you know he understood it right away. I don't think I was looking at the fact that where I was or what the situation was, no matter which time of the year or career or juncture it have been, I think I would have done the same thing. And that is what I have been as a person and I've been following it. Uh, it's inbuilt in me. So I think uh, the referee also was confused that she was not sure what was going on because she asked me a few times, you know, yeah. you know what. Uh, happened, but uh, yeah, I think uh, it was purely instinctive, and it was the right thing to do because I feel uh, even yeah, maybe uh, if I'd won that match, and uh, knowing the fact that the ball touched my hand, I didn't own up to it. I don't think I would have had probably sleepless nights. So <laughs> you know, I think I'd rather own up to it and just do the right thing, and you know that uh, you know whether it was known, people spoke about it or not. But I know personally. This was the right thing to do and hence, you know, I called it upon myself. Did, did your daughter uh, Trida see that? Did she, does she know about it? Yeah, I mean, she saw that, but I don't think she understood what, you know, the situation was. Uh, yeah, but she did uh, see me roll down a few tears in that final and then she was asking, uh, you know, my wife or uh, trying to muster the courage on how to meet me after that because I don't think she had seen that side of me before. Yeah. No, truly inspiring. I mean, uh, you know, world record, uh, the oldest to we have played, uh, you know, a Grand Slam final, uh, you know, stellar stuff to be at this level. Uh, you've played many, many rivals. Who's been your toughest rival who has also taught you a lot uh, in, in the way you've continued to play? Uh, no, I think uh, there have been, you know, a uh, few players, especially the Bryan brothers, uh, you know, who have, uh, you know, the years, the way they have, uh, not, first of all, who stuck together and no matter the thick and thin, they always stuck together and the way the, uh, they conducted themselves, I think is uh, definitely the biggest rival for, uh, you know, for me. Uh, and you always wanted to go out there and beat them. I mean, you know, every time that happened, you, you know, you felt uh, that you are improving, you belong there, uh, you know, then they made sure you played your best tennis in, in, uh, in order to uh, get anywhere close to you know beating them. So uh, yeah, they taught me a lot. Uh, even when I watched them practice or watch their matches, I used to. I, I don't really significantly go and watch live matches so much. But whenever they played, I kept uh, you know going uh, and watching them because initially a few years when we played them, we were not even getting close to beating them. Then I said, okay, you know what? Let me go study them a little bit more you know just do a lot more research because no matter how much of a video you see and watch live tennis you see a little bit of patterns little bit of things which you can pick up on and i think that 
you know kind of helped and uh, uh, you know clearly uh, you know as i mentioned earlier i didn't really like going to school and studying but <laughs> i needed to study yeah. uh, you know here as well and uh, you know do a lot more research and uh, yeah th- those were my toughest rivals i think before uh, you know sitting down today i had uh, asked a bunch of people i'm going to talk to you and what question should i ask you one of the most common question was that because you are the partnership man uh, having had you know such an illustrious career of partnerships how do you manage conflict in a partnership conflict management in particular because in your case the multiple variables uh, uh, individuals from different cultures different temperaments therefore uh, different stakes uh, like you said they would be a different rankings but you're doing it for a common reason to win and that's what you see outside of sport in other aspects of life uh, whether you're doing a startup whether you have a co-founder whether you're a family you have uh, you two partners uh how do you what has worked for you in terms of conflict management how do you kind of manage that not bottling things up and communicating with your partner just being honest with the situation sometimes it's hard you know because everybody like you said comes from various different backgrounds it it is tough but to find the right moment to sit down even if it's a 5 minutes 10 minutes to communicate you know especially one on one sometimes what happens is you communicate through the coach which is again not healthy because the coach kind of you know protects in some way he doesn't communicate so sometimes if you go at it but you understand you're doing it for the bigger picture big, uh, bigger journey it is far better there are times when it's happened first or second round you end up winning but the situation has not been great but you communicate and you speak at it the second round automatically gets better because you have communicated and you you know re- really understand what uh, you know at the end of the day you are trying to be the best and you are trying to be you know push all your limits so you expect that from you know the partner uh, as well and that's vice versa so you know so truly it is communication which has there been any situations where uh, of all the partnerships you've had you had to have you and your partner lock in in one room and just hash out between each other and then come out saying that okay you know we are back on the game i mean yeah, in instances it, it has happened i mean in the, it once happened uh, uh, you know in rome when i was playing with the, you know my partner we were uh, really losing badly and uh, uh, the energy was very negative on the court and luckily for us it started raining so we went into the locker room and then we just lashed out or you know because it was playing in my mind and you know what was happening and we lashed out at each other and an hour and a half later we when the rain stopped we went back on court and then you know we ended up winning that match comfortably and making the semis uh, you know of the tournament but yeah it it sometimes is needed sometimes happens at practice courts there are been partners who you know or you just walk off because you are not happy with the situation but every time you communicate you know yeah. i think uh, helps and uh, you know that that is i think the key aspect yeah uh, talk about setbacks uh, 2016 rio olympics un sanya semi finals uh the biggest milestone india has perhaps uh, reached uh, from a tennis perspective and we lose the match uh how did you guys come out of it i mean you still have to pursue a career what was the conversation in the locker room uh you know in the athlete village which made you say that okay let's go back and again play tennis i don't think we are still over it uh, dilip 
I think it's I think the one of the hardest uh, moments in tennis, I you know, because coming forth is yeah, it's no matter what if somebody says you're going to finish fourth at Olympics, it may be great, but that time that uh, thing I don't think uh, neither of us are over that situation. I mean, no matter how many times you uh, move on, I think that was extremely difficult to have lost that match, uh, you know, there. Especially when you're away from everyone in the locker room. I mean, locker room, you're by yourself because mixed doubles, not even like you're sitting in the same locker room, right? I mean, uh, and then you take a 10-hour flight to go into a next tournament wanting to play. But at the end of the day, that mind is not there. I mean, it's very, very hard. Very, very hard. Even till today, sometimes I think about it. I wonder why we have to play uh, uh, a bronze medal match. You know, why can't two teams, you know, just get the bronze, you know, looking at it, you know, instead of... Because in tennis, we are not used to coming the following day and playing another match right away for such a significant, uh, you know, or the magnitude of a match. You know, you lose in a Grand Slam, you come back next year to play that Wimbledon or you go the next week completely. Here, within 24 hours, we had played the semi-finals. We lost that. 24 hours later, you're coming to play another big match for bronze medal. You know, you're, when you, and you come back to the same court, sometimes you hit this ball and think, wish I hit this yesterday. You know, I would have been in the final. You know, the, it's so fresh, that memory, when you walk onto that court, when you're there, it's, everything is so similar. So, yeah, I don't think we've... We'll ever get over it. In Have you course. gone back and watched the match? I don't think I can. I don't think I can because it, it was one of those moments. There's, you know, I don't know. We'll ever get back, right? To say, okay, maybe next time I'll do it again. It, it's never going to happen. So, uh, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if I want to get back to a situation to go and sit and watch it. At least now, since I'm playing, maybe. You know, a few years later, somewhere, you know, but still, anytime you watch it, you're like, maybe I could do something different, but you can't change that situation. So, you know, I don't, I don't see that uh, reason why I actually go and watch that match again. Yeah. yeah, we are still rooting you for not just Paris, but LA. So, so there are many more. <laughs> let's be uh, so there many more really, really honest. Of... LA is surely not happening. <laughs> but for sure, one step at a time, we'll reach Paris and then we'll talk about uh, LA. Yeah, but, yeah uh, I was, uh, you know, really shocked when you mentioned LA. <laughs> no, but uh, no, I don't want to impose a lot of expectation, but a lot of uh, fans uh, have that in your in their heart. Uh, and I say this because a lot of kids today are watching you. Uh, playing at this level. They're aspiring to be a Rohan Bopana. A lot of parents who want to anchor their kids' aspiration. But let's accept it's an expensive sport. Uh, you know, uh, it it comes at a huge cost. Uh, what do you think or what do you suggest should be a starting point for a parent in particular who really wants to go and cheer their child's aspiration but perhaps doesn't have the means today? I think... Uh, uh to find a good coaching center as much as possible in terms of not just to send the kid to your closest uh, like for a tennis school which is close to your home because for, uh, I'm saying in uh, this because 
we send our kids to the best of best of education where how no matter what the distance for uh, you know the school is from your house but when it comes to sport we want to send them to what is close to our yeah. house yeah so we need to first give our kids a chance in that sport or whatever that field is like how we do it with education we need to do simultaneously even that chance even in tennis here if you're talking about tennis in that thing so when you send them to the best places give them a chance and that's when you're creating an opportunity and you know maybe the kid you know can uh, you know pursue that and sports today can give you make you a career I, you know i think uh, uh, if i have to say in india we are still growing to understand that sport can in be a career um, a lot of people easily say that oh there's no infrastructure so we can't do it yeah. uh, so when i look at it and i was sitting in a coffee shop and uh, it came to my mind i said what about the infrastructure in uk us canada they all have great infrastructure but there hasn't been an indian coming back to play a professional sport no matter which sport it is maybe occasionally one two you know it's because our priority is education that much i mean we play the sport at junior level and then end up going to an ivy school right so today the mindset slowly is changing but still parents are happy to send their kids maybe one hour maybe on the weekend to play sport but to education we do it 6 7 hours a day so if we change that you know perspective and start giving sport a chance i think you know that is a start that is a start we need to do and uh, you know that is where i think parents today like we mentioned um, before that the parents dream it is but even if it's a parents dream we need to give that kid a genuine chance you know before uh, you know that is where we are still Yeah. need to start i feel no i completely agree i think uh, we also have to change the narrative of sport not being an extracurricular activity for the larger part of our culture and society because large part of our country is middle class we have always felt academics which is right but then sports become an incentive of doing good in academics like if you do the your homework on time you can go and play an extra hour right or if you become if you come get good grades you will probably you know buy you will buy you will be bought a racket so it's always an extra curricular activity it, so it need not be extra it can be equally primary and uh, i think uh, beyond just uh, uh, showing off the pressure of that someone has to really pursue a career i'm sure that might have been a case in your situation where parent was not really thinking 35 years or 20 years out that you would become a star player and therefore uh, tennis becomes a source of profession for you it has to be just go out and let them explore what they uh, can be good maybe maybe in 10 months or a year they realize that they're not good at it and they can roll back and perhaps they can get into some other sport but I, uh, i felt that has to change where uh, like you rightly said sport has to be given an equal importance uh, and then therefore then it's a balancing act um uh, balancing act uh, trida today is 4 years supriya you might have been known for 20 plus years now supriya yeah no about uh, 15 years 15 years yeah. you are traveling 300 days of 365 days so uh, 
sometimes family travels with you most times not uh, your daughter is not uh, uh, being around with you um, but you still i feel this your family and you've spoken about it on and off has been a reason reason for your longevity uh, uh, in tennis and outside tennis what has worked for you in terms of having this relationship uh, which perhaps uh, you know others could take a cue because i'm sure it doesn't come easy you're not going off for a 9 o'clock job and coming back 6 o'clock you're gone literally and there are instances where let's say you know daughter might not be keeping well uh, or you're not going for her school's program but uh, you still have to do what you want to do or you should be doing so what has worked for you in keeping this the longevity of this relationship this far uh before coming to this balancing thing one thing i would like to mention is that you know even when i was growing up my parents didn't have the means i mean they took numerous of loans i know to uh, you know support my tennis a lot of people did tell them was why you taking a chance what if it doesn't become a tennis player so my parents always said that how do i know tomorrow if i want to make him a doctor he'll guarantee become a doctor he might stop anyway so i'm spending still the significant amount so that is where i think they had a you know a really long term thinking and gave me a genuine chance i mean till nobody is today takes a chance at the age of 21 to say okay let's keep going you know very uh, few parents you know think that far so i feel genuinely we need to give us uh, you know the kid a chance yeah, you know so i'm thankful you know in that aspect and coming back to uh, you know the balancing part i think uh, when supriya started traveling with me initially uh, to make her understand you know what role she plays as a as a uh, you know wife and to understand how this sport works was extremely important in terms of there is no work from home option and plus when i'm traveling and understanding you know the calendar and, uh, and making you understand why i'm traveling what tournaments are important and uh, obviously it's too expensive to keep coming back you know home and uh, you know so i could be away for 2 3 months uh, first i think 2 and a half 3 years she traveled with me every week and then today she travels to the uh, city she likes <laughs> more so uh, so so in a way also uh, uh, you know she made that huge sacrifice in order to build our relationship she sacrificed you know from her work and everything to travel with me to build a, a good relationship uh, and to strengthen that marriage uh, you know because i couldn't you know just be here at home or uh, you know manage that i think that is where she understood how this job worked uh you know it was it was living out of suitcase it's never easy uh you know when like you said travel 300 days uh you know in a, in a year when you're constantly on the road uh that was an important aspect for us to understand how everything uh worked and this how this journey was going to be and every single week it was the same routine it was kind of and then uh, there were times where we understood and what role uh, like in terms of when i say what role is that she was there to support and encourage and you know be a part of me in some way uh, yeah, sorry in a big way um uh, but also to understand that she's 
not playing a coach's role or not playing a physio's yeah. role they were all there for you know uh, so she over the years when it was match times on how uh, it was whether i was sleeping early she did uh, you know those sacrifices respected that and you know balanced that out and i think today we have taught that you know to our daughter as well uh, to understand what is priority and uh, her dad will be traveling and we i we tell her right from the beginning i am you know traveling away for so long of course she is very upset uh, you know and she wants to know when she can travel and be you know with me on the road uh but you know and yes i've missed numerous days you know of a school uh, you know programs when i'm not there and uh, sometimes you know we are on a, thankfully the opportunity today to do a video call and you can you know speak and you know do that but still it is difficult uh, especially as she is getting older it is it is uh, you know harder and have you given her a timeline I I haven't given her any. She ha- any she timeline. asked you a timeline because she, she, the world is not asking you a timeline. Yeah, no, she she is not. I asked me any timeline. Actually, we were on a holiday last uh, uh, last week. We were in Sri Lanka, and then uh, uh, she uh, she asked me when we're going back. She's like, "Are you going to be there in Bangalore?" I said, "Yeah, I'm going to be there." She's like, "Forever?" <laughs> so I said, "Yeah, for some you're not going anywhere." So you know, for even for her, she probably thinks I'm there for a few days, then I'm off. uh you know so thankfully she's been great adaptive uh you know and she loves to travel and the one thing i told my wife when we were traveling we needed to try all kinds of food i said i know i wanted to really enjoy you know this travel experience and i think travel is a great learner so you know thankfully that um, supya is able to still sacrifice a lot in terms of uh, for us able to travel and be together as a family no we have to i mean this has been a fantastic conversation ron i uh, can't thank you enough because a lot has been uh, uh, known about you uh, but uh, i hope uh, in this conversation we were able to unpack and explore a lot of your other side but before i wrap up i want to touch upon two more aspect which is i feel maybe unknown about you uh, the work uh, what you do outside of tennis you also do a lot of philanthropic work uh you're also a teacher you have an academy where you're now uh teaching kids and uh, you were talking about uh, a project which you want to pursue about giving back and helping underprivileged kids so i want you to quickly touch upon uh, that side of yours uh, the uh, the work you do in philanthropy why is that important and the project you want to pursue now uh yeah i think dilip it started uh, you know about 10 years ago this thought of giving back to the sport because i think the sport has given me so much uh, you know I've, i'm here today because of you know tennis so and i really feel that uh, the structure in the country has not changed over the years and i really feel that needs to change uh, you know and uh, uh the more i talk to you know a lot of the players of course it's it's not easy i mean to uh, you know to change that system uh, and i and i told myself i need to start doing it myself i'm not going to wait till you know the system changes or anything happens i said let's start by myself so i started to you know started my academy um uh, you know uh, literally giving back getting all the you know regarding the right structure in place just you know for whether it is 10 kids also just giving them the right kind of fitness right kind of tennis uh, just balancing you know all that out of course you know constantly 
uh, you know, growing, uh, learning myself because when I start communicating with parents, I constantly understand what are the different roles, uh, you know, they play, the challenges they have. Uh, you know, and e even at times I've gotten the question saying that, oh, I'm playing doubles, how will I teach a kid singles? But I tell them it's not about doubles or singles, it's about, you know, the journey, uh, you know, what can be taught. And, uh, and I feel uh, we have a tremendous amount of talented kids who, who don't even have a place to go and play. I mean, either you have to be a member of a club or, you know, uh, go you know, outside India to really join good academies. So I thought, let's give an opportunity here in Bangalore itself. I mean, uh, one of the reasons we started the sports school with boarding, lodging, education, you know, and tennis is so that I, I feel I never had this when I was growing up. Like I said, we mentioned I was on my, sorry, uh, on my bicycle traveling 14, 15 kilometers a day. I, I feel that needed to change. We need to give players the, uh, amount of rest needed after their training to class and everything around it and balance that out. And I, and I feel today I want to start an underprivileged, you know, uh, program because uh, I don't think it's ever, tennis has ever gone to uh, an underprivileged uh, kids and uh, taught this sport. So, and I really feel uh, we need to start at the grassroots level. Uh, and I feel there are, uh, you know, so many kids who can maybe get this opportunity. We want to go around and select a few uh, kids and, you know, give back to the sport. And I, and that's my passion. Uh, it comes naturally to me. And uh, yeah, so I'm really happy that, uh, you know, this journey can be started and, uh, you know, hopefully it will be successful. No, I'm, I'm definitely and I want to, you know, mention, uh, you know, the academy, uh, you know, you, you operate uh, Rohan Bopanna Tennis Academy. Uh, a lot of work you are doing there in educating uh, and uh, essentially making the future generations, uh, you know, come up and be a great player. Uh, so definitely, people uh, should go read up more about it, and uh, I'm sure uh, people will find a way to reach out to you. Um, so you know, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, Rohan. Uh, I want, uh, I like I said, no pressure. To, uh, you know, LA, but definitely Paris. And after Paris, we'll talk about LA. But uh, you know, uh, before we wrap up, uh, two pieces. One, if you had to go out and play uh, doubles with someone historical figure, non-tennis player, who would be that player, and where would where would you want to play? I would love to play with Michael Jordan. Wow. You know, okay. Uh, in Las Vegas. Las Vegas? Yeah, yeah, why not? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, you know, I was just reading about, uh, uh, you know, Nadal and Alcaraz going to go and play out there. So, yeah. it would be a great place, I think, to play great. with uh, Michael Jordan there. Okay, so, uh, uh, I usually don't do this, but uh, with you, I felt uh, it would be fun. So, quick rapid fire. Uh, three questions, very simple. Make a choice. Uh, Rafael Nadal or Novak Djokovic? Rafael Nadal. Wimbledon champion, Olympic champion. Olympic champion. I thought that would come easy. <laughs> but this one, I know it's easy. Uh, coffee or wine? Coffee. Yeah. yeah. So, there's a lot to unpack on the coffee side. But Rohan, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, knowing about you. And I hope, uh, uh, you know, with this, a lot more people uh, find that uh, other side of yours, which they can take back, not necessarily in tennis. I'm sure, you know, I don't even think, you know, there are tennis fans who are watching or listening, but the idea was to see that mental model, what you have applied in your illustrious career this long, 
how they could apply in whatever pursuits they are doing, uh, whether it's business, life, or passion elsewhere. And uh, they can also, like you said, uh, convert their limitations into opportunities. Uh, so thank you for uh, Supri also to coining that. But uh, thank you for taking time and having this conversation with me. Thank you so much, Dilip, for having me. It was absolute, absolute pleasure. Uh, you know, I don't think I've uh, spoken about the other side of me this much uh, as uh, much I have, uh, you know, today speaking with you. So thank you for, uh, you know, bringing out all those memories uh, of my childhood and everything and sharing that, uh, you know, with you and every anyone who's listening. So. Uh, you know, hope to catch up with you soon again. I look forward and uh, good luck uh, for Paris. We Paris only, please. <laughs> I'm happy to uh, sit with you and we'll, just support we'll, all the athletes from India. We'll find Thailand. a way to sit again after Paris and then perhaps chalk out a plan maybe for LA or we'll make a plan for others to reach LA. Yes. But thank you, Rohan. It's been thank a pleasure. You. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. It's been a, a great time talking to Rohan. I hope you enjoyed, uh, took a lot of cues in going out and exploring your other side. If you enjoyed, uh, please send in some feedback that will help me get better what I do. I'm sure you know ways to reach out to Rohan. He's there in social media. So send him all the good wishes. You could just write a second line that uh, let's go LA. Uh, no pressure, but uh, you know, Rohan will uh, you know give it a thought. Uh, but thank you once again and uh, see you in the next episode with another guest exploring their other side. Goodbye.